we need to let go of the old and start growing with what is new. Welcome, neighbors, to Hometown Earth, the podcast that brings a down-to-earth approach to all of your sustainability questions. I'm your host, Lena Sanford, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here, we believe that everyone can change the world. Do you believe? I'm a Midwest gal with big dreams to discover what it takes to reduce my impact on this beautiful place we call Hometown Earth. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate what actions we can take, big or small, to make a positive impact in your life and the lives of your neighbors on Hometown Earth. Hello, neighbors. I have a question. What do you think of when I say the phrase, out with the old, in with the new? Did your mind automatically go to a pair of jeans that you wanted to get rid of and maybe buy a new pair? Maybe you thought about your couch, your car, your cosmetics. Out with the old, in with the new is a phrase that has led many of us to associate it with material things. If something is slightly used, broken, in need of repair, or of no use to us anymore, we get rid of it and typically buy something new in its place. Americans have developed a throwaway society a society where things are manufactured for minimal use and thrown away after a single use, and it's based in consumerism. This focus on consumerism really started around the Great Depression and after World War II. We went from sharing, reusing, repairing, and making our own food, clothing, and products, honestly, out of necessity, to having an abundance of disposable income and spending power. At the same time, businesses and economists noticed that people wanted to spend their money, and they started mass-producing materials and using consumerism as a business model. They needed people to buy new things and continue buying new things to support the kind of business that they were creating. But things back then were made well, and that was actually a problem. In comes the manufacturing philosophy of planned obsolescence, a policy of producing consumer goods that rapidly became obsolete through product fails, breaking, or creating a new design that made the old but still useful undesirable. Making things obsolete means that these products would need to be frequently replaced and the supply of spare parts declined drastically. That philosophy still applies today in many business models. Consumerism doesn't want you to repair, reuse, or make your own, only that you buy more. Think about that in today's society. How many times have you replaced your phone because there was a new version? What about a video game system or something that we've all fallen prey to, fast fashion? There's always something newer, trendier, better presented to us in a million different versions. These manufacturers can make low quality products and make a high margin with the safety of knowing that you'll likely come back when your clothes have fallen apart or they come up with a new product design. Then in the 50s and 60s, plastic products that encouraged this throwaway mindset were being marketed heavily, 
like throwaway cups, bags, and cutlery. Plastic products were all well and good for the businesses who were saving money and making a lot of money, and even the consumers who were undoubtedly thrilled to have these new things that made their lives more convenient and trendy. But this rapid rise in disposable consumer goods and throwaway culture started to cause concern for its impact on the environment. There was a rise in environmental action and the effects of industrialization, injustice, all the oil spills, pollution, toxic dumps, and extinction that had built up throughout the years led to the first Earth Day in 1970. By the late 60s and early 70s, recycling as we know it today started to be commonplace. In 1975, the European Union created the first iteration of the Waste Framework Directive, or WFD. This framework was where methods for waste management were divided into reduction in quantities of waste and disposal via recycling and reuse or recovery and storage. Sounding familiar to the reduce, reuse, recycle that we've heard so much about? Except this model didn't really include a hierarchy of what should be done first, of what was most important. In 1979, Dutch politician Ad Lansink proposed a new concept, Ladder of Lansink, which ranked preferences for waste management and resource conservation options with reduce at the top and landfill at the bottom which became the framework for how waste management is recognized globally today. It's worth noting that much of the waste hierarchy framework applies to construction and demolition waste, or CDW. Some research shows that CDW is the primary waste stream of gross waste generation in modern society due to urbanization. China, the United States, and the European Union are all the three biggest economies and the three biggest generators of CDW. The eco-experts report that the construction industry is responsible for 50% of all natural resource extraction worldwide. It accounts for one-sixth of global freshwater consumption, one-quarter of wood consumption, and one-quarter of global waste. The European Union even put this framework into their legislation to help mitigate the waste from this industry. But although it does apply to industry, it also applies to every business and even our everyday lives. The three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, that are often thought about in the circular economy and the waste management hierarchy share a similar goal to improve the effectiveness of waste treatment by reducing environmental impacts, resource conservation, and avoiding waste altogether. The waste management hierarchy has developed into many iterations throughout the years. Food waste, resource waste, zero waste iterations. Its typical illustration is an inverted pyramid with the most preferred option, prevention or reduction, at the top, and the least desirable option, landfills, at the bottom. So let's walk through this journey to approach waste and waste management. I meshed together a few different iterations of the pyramid for this podcast, but you can take a look at more examples by visiting the show notes linked in the episode description. So the first step, 
At the top, we have prevention and reduction, also thought of as no waste. This is similar to reduce or even refuse in the R framework, as it's about reducing the amount of waste that we have and the toxicity of waste that we have. At the design level, this is about creating more efficient design, manufacturing and packaging processes that produce less waste to begin with and less toxic waste at that. Some examples would be to create reusable products, longer lasting products, and utilizing materials that are better for the environment once they are made, like reducing plastic and using more biodegradable, safe materials. But the consumer standpoint of this is similar to what we talked about in the last episode, reframing what we consider waste and instead thinking of it as a resource. Prevention is the biggest step we can take and why it is the most preferable option on the waste management hierarchy. Intercepting waste before it even happens. So take the same phrase, out with the old, in with the new. I challenge you to approach it differently. Out with the old mindset, old ideas, old thoughts or beliefs, and in with a new and fresh mindset, ideas, and thoughts. Think of it another way. It can mean that to move forward, we need to let go of the old and start growing with what is new. And what is new is a better way to live, design, and interact with everything on this planet so we can live lighter and healthier. In practice, this can be finding materials that you already have on hand or that are secondary materials, meaning that they've been used or recycled. You can look for things with the least amount of packaging, require the fewest resources, or consist of recycled or recyclable components. You can also properly care for perishable and non-perishable items so that they don't go to waste and avoid single-use goods if you can. The second best approach on the hierarchy for waste management is preparing for reuse. This means checking, cleaning, repairing, or refurbishing items to reuse them in their original form. A lot of what we throw away can be used again. And if we focused on extracting these reusable items before they made it further down the chain, we can increase jobs and reduce scarcity. In practice, this is pretty self-explanatory. Both companies and consumers can reuse items so that there's no need to create something new which is a very time and resource intensive process, no matter what is being made. Now we're finally at the third tier, recycling. And composting actually falls into that category because it takes our food waste and recycles it into a new substance. According to the EPA, Americans generate 292.4 million tons of waste per year, with a total of 94 million tons of that being recycled and composted. Although many people think of these two things as the first best option because it's extremely well known, there are actually better options that come before it. To be honest, you can tell by the numbers of what is recycled and composted compared to the numbers of what we generate as a whole that we aren't using recycling and composting methods to their full capacity. 
One of the reasons it's third on the list is because unlike the first two options, it takes much more energy and resources to process our waste into a new product. But recycling does have value, and it's something that anyone can take part in easily. Another aspect of recycling can be finding new uses for the waste, like feeding animals, industrial services, or just your average Joe making a product into something new again. And we will talk more about recycling next week, so be sure to stay tuned. So as we're going down this inverted pyramid, we're already at the fourth stage and reaching smaller and smaller portions, the least desirables. If our waste makes it past the first three stages, then as a last ditch effort to prevent it from going to a landfill, we should hope to recover the energy from it. Out of those 292 million tons of waste that I mentioned earlier, 35 million tons, or 11.8% of that, were combusted with energy or material recovery. Some forms of energy recovery include biogas, which is the anaerobic digestion of plant matter for natural gas, or a similar process, gasification, which produces energy and other materials from biomass using heat and incineration, or waste-to-energy facilities, which uses waste combustion under controlled conditions to generate electricity and heat. There are also incineration facilities that don't use energy recovery, but this is less common because it is pretty expensive to run an incineration facility, and it doesn't really make sense to do it without getting something in return. The energy collected can keep up the operation like a loop system or be fed back into the electricity grid. So once we've created waste past the first step of prevention and made our way to the end of recovery, I think you know the last step. At the bottom of the pyramid is the landfill. More than 146 million tons of our waste, about 50%, are sent to landfills. Now that is just municipal waste, not even industrial, agricultural, or commercial waste. So for municipal waste, the EPA says that food was the largest component at about 24%, plastics accounted for over 18%, paper and paperboard made up about 12%, and rubber, leather, and textiles comprised of over 11%, and other materials accounted for less than 10% each. Hearing that, I think it's pretty freaking clear that most of that does not need to end up in a landfill. If we were to practice better waste management, we could save precious landfill space for the items that truly need to be there. Landfills are a significant source of pollution, They release toxins, greenhouse gases, contaminate water, smell, and are honestly just unsightly. We do not need to rely on filling up landfills, covering them, and then converting them to green spaces like parks. We have to move away from this practice through better waste management. And if you're shaking your head, I promise this is possible The New York Times reports that less than 1% of household waste finds its way to landfills in Sweden, 
and many other places hope to reach zero-waste landfill goals. In London, Mayor Sadiq Khan said that the goal is that by 2026, no biodegradable or recyclable waste will be sent to landfill, and by 2030, 65% of London's municipal waste will be recycled. It is possible if the proper measures are put into place and more people start to care about what happens to our environment when we waste. Thankfully, every day our society is becoming more environmentally conscious. Our numbers are growing. The message is being spread and companies who can eliminate much of this waste are starting to rethink their environmental footprint and change their strategy. At its core, the waste management hierarchy focuses on what we do with waste, but it's not perfect. To take it further, we also need to link this hierarchy with the environmental impact and dematerialization. Dematerialization is reducing the mass of materials used in industrial end products. So the waste management hierarchy really focuses on diverting waste from landfills through prevention, reuse, recycling, and recovery. However, this doesn't guarantee a closed-loop system with the best environmental outcome or enforce dematerialization. One of the ways research shows that we can improve this hierarchy is by defining each phase more and including information on trade-offs, refining recycling to specify a closed-loop system rather than having an open loop, creating a better infrastructure to support this hierarchy and prevent loss of waste along the way, and most importantly, treating waste as something valuable, as a resource instead of waste, something that we have already laid the groundwork for. The small but truly big action that you can take here is to become a conscious consumer. Don't buy what you don't need. Use what you have. Prioritize sharing with others. And if you do need to buy, choose companies that have prevention built into their business. Once something comes into your possession, consider it your responsibility and try to think of how you can keep its value before sending it on down the line. For this week's Something to Grow On segment, I want to take us back to the thought of why we have become a throwaway society, because it is convenient, trendy, and truthfully saves us some time on the front end. But convenience at the expense of the planet is not convenient at all. I'll say that again, convenience at the expense of the planet is not convenient at all. I'll let you mull that one over until next week. But until then, thanks for joining me, neighbor. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hometown Earth as much as I did. Let us know by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every week on Tuesday. Head to the show notes linked in the episode description for more details. And let us know in the comments what you want to hear next. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can find more about the podcast on Instagram at Hometown Earth or connect with me personally personally at Lena Saintford. We all know change needs to happen. So let's get started right here at Hometown Earth.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.